Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Prison, prison,
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown, here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And you might be listening on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com. All right, we are going to get into uh, speaking with Joka Hashima Jinsai. Yet again, if you have been listening to this radio station, you will know that he is no stranger to these airwaves, and um, we do put an emphasis on the work that he is doing on the inside, um, and uh, that benefits all of us out here. So right now, there is like a revitalization of um, the concept of institutional restitution. It's not actually a concept. It has been a campaign. There is a petition online that you can find at uh, go, by going to Facebook and uh, going to Restitution Now, and you can get the link for that petition that has been online for some time. But there's a new publication called New Observations, um, I don't yet have the, uh, the, the date when the uh, new petition for institutional restitution will uh, be published in uh, the publication New Observations. I don't have that date yet, but that is coming. And so I um, invited Hashima to come and speak to us again about what institutional restitution means and why it is absolutely necessary, especially in the face of a renewed call and demand for reparations. That's, that's been an ongoing call as well, just um, <clears throat> for uh, Black-identified people, um, and, and especially here in San Francisco and California. So uh, with all of that in, in mind, and also thinking about uh, the the five the four states out of uh, four out of five states that uh, voted to remove the slavery language from their state constitutions. Um, again, another push for a kind these these reparations, a call for um, a redress for the crimes against humanity that have taken place against um, African descendant people and how and then the new iteration of slavery that is taking place within our prisons so i wanted him to come and talk about institutional restitution what it means why it's necessary and how it just relates to again so much of the work that joka heshima jinsai and many of these other uh, new african political prisoners also identified as a strategic release class, the new African strategic release class, um, and continually expose us and keep us aware and um, have this in the forefront of our minds of this work that continues to take place despite the state trying to repress, silence, and disappear our people. All right, so here we go um, with Joka Hashima Jinsai talking about the institutional restitution petition. Excuse me. Actually, before we get started with Hashima and hearing from him, I am going to read the description that is online at um, campaigns. You know, Organize for is where um, is the the platform that is. Uh, hosting the Restitution Now Support the Concept of Institutional Restitution 
today, which you can again find on Facebook by putting in Restitution Now. You will get to it. Here's what it says. Governor Gavin Newsom, we are calling on you to request the immediate release of the new African prisoners activist class that were held in solitary confinement isolation for decades solely for political beliefs and activities, as well as for possessing black history books and literature. This has been established as fact in multiple federal court decisions. It was mentioned in the historical class action lawsuit Ashker v. Governor Brown, which eventually led to the release of those new African activists from solitary confinement isolation. But this does not compensate them for their political and racial persecution, nor does it solve the cycle of undue isolation and barring from programs. Then the refusal of parole based of parole based on those very requirements not being met. Within the California Department of Corrections, a prisoner that is being held in the solitary housing unit, SHU, cannot receive a parole date. In fact, they were told, and this is a fact well documented, the only way they were getting out of the shoe was either by snitching or dying. In addition to this, they were not allowed to participate in any educational or vocational programs required for one to become eligible for parole. Therefore, this class of new African prisoner activists were being wrongfully and illegally held in the security housing unit, so it is not their fault for not meeting the requirements. Still, when they were released from solitary confinement SHU in 2015, many of them were denied parole based on their long-term within solitary confinement as well as not completing the required programs. Whose fault is this? In 2016, the Secretary of, of the California Department of Corrections was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on 60 Minutes where he openly admitted before millions that it was a mistake to keep those prisoners in solitary confinement for that long. It is an ongoing injustice, both racial and political persecution, to keep these new African activists in prison for the wrong of the California Department of Corrections. We are requesting their release as a form of restitution for their illegal confinement in solitary and the torture that they were forced to endure as a direct result. Why is this important? Please be clear. We are only referring to those class of new African prisoners that were held in Pelican Bay and Corcoran State Prison. These new African prisoners have contributed to their community and people for decades have written books and developed proposals designed to transform the black criminal mentality. All of this is also well documented. In fact, this is what the CDCR has tried to suppress from society. If this government is truly about justice and paying restitution, how can you turn a blind eye to this ongoing persecution? We call for restitution through release today. My name is Joker Shima Jinsa. I'm a New African Revolutionary National Book Group. Uh, I was housed at SHU for 20 years. For no other reason than studying New African political, historical, and cultural texts, and sometimes sharing that information with other New African prisoners. Uh, institutional restitution campaign came out of the uh, institutional restitution class, um, specifically the New African Strategic Release class, which is those prisoners who was held in solitary from no other reason than our political ideas and our efforts to seek to find solutions to the ills and impact of our communities. Um, this was deemed a threat by the uh, administration. Um, and it's a practice that has been ongoing since the 1970s, even before then. 
uh, institution restitution campaign came out of the uh, concept that Scott Kernan had uh, this guy who was California director director uh, director California director uh, Department of Correction. It was Scott Kernan, and uh, one of the things that CDCR has pushed on prisoners for the last 20 or 30 years is the concept of restitution. I mean, crime, you have to restore the uh, offended, aggrieved party to try to make them whole again. Um, they held us in solitary confinement for no other reason than our political ideas, which you people out there uh, currently experience as, uh, uh, what you know as uh, critical race theory. This, this concept that somehow our historical and political experience in this country is theoretical, not actual. It's an offensive term in and of itself, but it was an attempt to criminalize our history, culture, and political thought. We were the first ones to ever experience it. We were the first ones to be functionally punished by it. We were actually subjected to torture chambers for decades for no other reason than refusing to relinquish our human rights to know our history, culture, and to cultivate our political ideas so our people could be free. Uh, institution restitution campaign came out of the concept that we too should be awarded a degree of restitution for the crimes that were committed against us by the California Department of Corrections in the state of California. As I stated previously, we were held in the solitary confinement for 10, 20, 30, 40, and sometimes 50 years straight for no other reason than we picked up certain books. We shared those books. We wrote, we wrote certain articles. Just saying the name George Jackson or drawing a picture of someone like Nat Turner would uh, consign you to solitary confinement forever. Uh, they have something called a classification committee. When we entered those committees, we stopped going eventually. But when we entered those committees, they told us the only way you get out is parole, debrief, or die. Because the vast majority of us are serving life sentence, the parole is not an option. You don't get parole and then shoot. Now, if we're on the general population line, having access to those programs that would make us eligible for parole, of course we'd have action at parole. But they knew this. Debriefing wasn't an option because we aren't informants. That would never happen. So the only other option is death. So in our minds, what we would do was contribute as much as we possibly could to the development of our communities and the capacity for our people to ultimately be free in a society that has historically oppressed us uh, before we left this world. Eventually, uh, in 2013, um, 2011 is when it started, the agreement uh, of hostilities was um, actually adopted from a previous document written by a new revolutionary national political prison named Abdul Abbas Shakur. It was updated by another new African political prison, Talvanata Abujamah, and adopted by the entire California prison class uh, that was subjected to solitary confinement for various reasons. But that, uh, that concept and that work part of was part of the new African prisons. Now, ultimately, that led to both class action lawsuits 
and three historic hunger strikes, uh, the last of which spanned 33,000 prisoners in halfway across this planet. And it ultimately uh, culminated in solitary confinement being, in effect, diminished to the point of being uh, a non-issue in the state of California. But that did not solve the issue. What it did is it created a new contradiction. Those prisons that was held, specifically those new African political prisons, they were the only ones, understand, they were the only class of prisons rejected solitary confinement based solely on their political ideas. They didn't do anything. They did nothing wrong. They just picked up certain books that taught them the true history, that taught them their relationship to the productive system, that encouraged them to resist oppression, and it changed their social conditions of the best. When they actually sought to express these ideas to their communities in the form of solutions to the ills of society, this was castigated as gang activity. As irrational as that sounds, that's exactly what occurred. Now, California Department of Corrections, following the success of these three historic hunger strikes, ultimately conceded what they did was wrong. Scott Kearney got on 60 Minutes, interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, and stated, he made a mistake by holding him in solitary confinement all the years based on books. It was wrong. Yet no effort or restitution was ever made. We were subjected to decades of torture. Yet no one sought to make us whole. The institutional restitution campaign came out of this idea that we too deserve restitution. We deserve restitution in the form of a parole date. We should be released because first and foremost, we've long been rehabilitated and they know the standard for, for release in the state of California is one is no longer a threat to public safety. The class of prisoners that I am talking about is the class of prisoners that when they were in a set of political circumstances where they thought they would die in solitary confinement, what did they do? They bent all of their mental, emotional, and creative power to creating solutions to the rapping criminal mind in the form of the George Jackson University, to hunger in the form of sustainable agricultural community, to underdevelopment in the form of youth community action program, post-circuit economic conditions. I can go on and on and on and on. That was their response, to seek to improve social life for people that this society has systematically oppressed for hundreds of years. The concept of strategic release came out of that effort, it came out of that specifically, that specifically cultivated culture of service to our community. These brothers had a demonstrable record spanning decades of service to poor people, to oppressed people, to New African people, and this society. They were rewarded for torture. Institutional restitution campaign seeks to take that class of prison, the New African Strategic Release class, and provide them the restitution in the form of an immediate parole date. If not immediate, to be 
transferred to a facility where they can get the programming necessary for the parole board to be comfortable releasing them. First and foremost, they pose no threat to the safety and security of any community. In fact, the opposite is true. Any community that you have an institutional restitution class prisoner released to would be a boon for that community because that brother or that sister has dedicated their lives to improving social life for everyone. This is the class of humanity that we're speaking of. These brothers already sacrificed their very lives, decades of their existence on this planet, serving the people. The response to the state has been to seek to break their minds in torture units that were specifically designed for that purpose. Not only did it not work, not only did it have the opposite effect, but even till this day, released on the general population lines across the state of California, these brothers have only stepped up their work to serve the community. You have in communities across this country autonomous infrastructure missions. You have chapters of the George Jackson University, the Solid Alert Network. I could go on and on and on and on. The positive work that these brothers have done and continue to do, even in the face of abject depression. Now, if we as a society, as a culture, as people, as humans, are serious, are genuine, are sincere, that right should be rewarded and wrong should be punished. And these brothers should be rewarded. Those who have subjected them to this horror should be punished. The political and social contradiction is the very body of people that you invested with the responsibility to ensure public safety has been the ultimate arbiter of constantly putting public safety in jeopardy. I can I can recount again and again and again in just the last five years, the state of California has came forth with early release schemes. The cohort of prisoners that are constantly being focused on is the cohort of prisoners that they know full well will recidivate. Let me give you a statistic that came from the Bureau of Justice. This isn't our statistic. This statistic that was derived from the Bureau of Justice Statistics in the United States of America. The prisoner cohort with the lowest recidivism rate are prisoners who have served 20 years or more continuous confinement or are 50 years or older. They have a recidivism rate of point zero one five percent it is a fraction of a fraction of one percent in other words they don't come back to prison well if you couple that with the fact these particular classes this particular class of, of brothers this particular class of prisons institutional institution class has dedicated their lives to the perpetual service of their communities and recidivism rate is reduced to zero so you have no legitimate, peniological, or public interest in maintaining their imprisonment. If there is no legitimate, peniological, or public interest in maintaining their imprisonment, why are you spending a hundred plus thousand dollars of taxpayers' money to keep them caged? And they can be in the community right now serving to prevent the next brother or sister from falling prey to criminalization. 
That's the contradiction right there. Yes, that's the contradiction. <laughs> because it's 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 the money and it's not about it's not about the social uplift. This yeah. is a, a, a serious crisis in human human rights. I mean, this is a continued crime against humanity um, that you all embody. Exactly. It is a profit motive. It is a motive predicated upon greed and and human misery. And no principled human would allow such a process to continue unchallenged. No principled human being would allow the prison industrial slave complex to continue to operate unchecked. And you know who will. You have a class of prisoners who are perhaps some of the best that humanity has to offer. And the only reason they still stuck in a cage is because they don't want those solutions inside of our communities. They don't want that positive impact being derived from this particular class, from this element of society. Right, so that's how they... It will castigate the entire narrative of the class system and U.S. capitalism as a lie. That's the last thing they want. What I'm telling the people is we know full well their support, their influence, their outrage, their activism can create a transformation in that contradiction. Can't do it alone. You got to support. What type of society do you want to live in? That if once we set aside all other considerations, it boils down to what type of society do you want to live? What type of people do you want to be? Because lack of action, lack of activism, the absence of outrage is tacit approval. You cooperating. You're helping them out. This is something that is unconscionable. It's not even considerable for a principal human being. Do you feel like because what keeps coming up for me um, when you speak on this, Hashima, is this act um, of like social self-defense. Because I, I, I feel like we have been conditioned to think it's okay. I, I feel like we've been conditioned to think it's, it's okay for us to be made continually unsafe, like you talked about how we know that all of these Department of Corrections use this idea, they weaponize um, this idea of public safety to criminalize y'all and and deem your solutions as gang activity and the, um, you know, just the act, like you say, the act of taking care of, of, of learning about ourselves and um, doing that deep personal work and wanting to serve the people as uh, gang activity. And so um, in the interest of public safety, we're going to keep these people behind bars, thereby leaving the community vulnerable to um, hurting themselves, right, um, or being hurt by this continually hurt and harmed and, and killed off by the system. And we've become used to that. We're used to the language of this oppressor. And so 
I hear what it seems to me that what you're asking for is we need to be we need to take a, a broader defense uh, uh, against that and for to protect our children um, and and to protect ourselves from what's what's really harming us and that is keeping people like you and these other new African strategic release class uh, prisoners inside and away from us and not being able to um, have those actions of public ser- of service to us uh, uh, be utilized. Sister, I couldn't articulate it better. That's exactly what it is. It's social self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of the things we've always advocated is primary solution to any contradiction, especially one of the social political nature, the people themselves. It's in exercising the true power. Mm-hmm. That's the solution. It's social cooperation. Right. Social cooperation. And that is exactly uh, what, I mean, that is kind of the endemic aspect of, of well, this, it, this new iteration of slavery, which is, you know, modern U.S. prisons. Mm-hmm. It's just another iteration of slavery and keeping us um, separated, keeping us, um, ig- trying to keep us ignorant, keeping us silenced, disappearing us, killing us off, uh, and and labeling us and, and developing, actually, criminal, quote, and I'm going to put the quotes because we know that really it's America with 3Ks, Inc., which is the, the criminal enterprise here. Um, but... Um, Yes, then that's what you've always been promoting, and that's really what the threat is. Exactly. And I think, you know, people need to understand that um, for themselves, like you talk about the activism and the rage, like we are being, um, we are the threat as well. And so how can we turn that into, because I think people don't want to feel like a threat, right? Who wants to feel like a threat? Most people want to see the power comes in something that feels positive, right? Like, like because I want to take care of my people, because I want clean air, clean water, clean food, um, relevant education, uh, decent housing. Um, I, I want a healthy child. I, I want to have good work. I want to have good mental state of mind so that me and my partner can, can, um, communicate better and and build our dreams and desires you want those things to not feel like a threat you want mm-hmm. them to those to be something that's like that's what we want in society everything that you just said this society has castigated as a privilege that ain't a right all everything that you just said those should be fundamental human rights right have a fundamental human right to a living wage. You should have a fundamental human right to practice, learn, or teach what you want to practice, learn, or teach. You should have a fundamental human right to care for one another. You should have a fundamental human right to that. We live in a society that is stated to something like health care is a privilege. Right. If you don't have enough money, if your bank account don't got enough zeros behind it, you ain't got action debt. Right. If your skin tone don't look a certain way, you don't get action at that. If your social political background does not reflect a certain standard, you ain't got action at that. You don't got that right. And that's insane. That is insane. That's insane. 
Insanity is not that such a system exists. Insanity is our response to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our participation in it. Our refusal to resist it. This is the contradiction. Right. I have no other expectation this oppressive state than anything other than what it's been and doing an oppressor. And rationality comes in when we, we seek to attribute uh, uh, nobility or, or, or honor or, or, or righteousness or principle to a system ain't got none of that. Wasn't built on that. It was built on extermination of native people, enslavement of African people, the stratification of every other kind of people, the pitting of people against people. That's what it's built on. Why does anyone have in their head this going to do other than anything other than what it was formed to do? Right. <clears throat> or respond to it as though it's some other than what it is. It's almost as though we live under this you know, collective delusion. We got a word for it. It's called colonial psychosis. Right. Abnormal behavior by colonial subjects. That's not rational. But we've been one of the reasons why they sought to hold us in solitary confinement as long as they did the rational thinkers, the critical thinkers. Utilize two called dialectical material. We analyze a body of facts before we proceed on it. Don't accept what you say is true. We take that through the crucible. We're going to find out if it's real or not. We're going to find out if it's true or not. And the vast majority of the lies that people are fed the lie of competition, the lie of, of I and me, as opposed to us. And these are lies. These are falsehoods. These are intentional lies and falsehoods placed there to ensure we don't cooperate with each other. We don't unify. We don't work collectively. We don't think uh, collectively. We think in terms of I and me. And as long as you do that, oh, it's easy to control you. Because you, 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 not us. You, 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 not we. They, they have no respect for you. They respect the hell out of us. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that collective power is is really, um, really undeniable. And I think um, I want to, um, you, you started with this idea, or you, I mean, you always kind of pepper it in there. It's a lovely, a lovely spice of what it means for us to be, to to just be, uh, not just activists, but people that care out here. Like, right. if we believe that when we have been harmed, we want some kind of restitution. We that's apparently what the the, the penal system is supposed to be about, right? Like somebody has caused harm, and so we want some justice. You know, when harm has been called. So if we want it, why would we not want it for for others? That's what we need to also uh, be in uh, collective consciousness about, that this this um, institutional restitution, you have been harmed. You all have been under the duress of torture, even still, were not broken. But many people were broken. That's the other thing, which means that not only were those individuals, again, here is that collective, but their family members, um, all the people attached to them were harmed as well as this torture was going on. So this petition is out there, this uh, restitution now for harms that were done by the state and continually are done by the state. I mean, so, and 
it, in you know, just talking about this and also in my mind thinking about reparations, this constant call for reparations, right? That's the same thing. There has been harms that have been caused by this 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 state, this government against a particular group of people, and we want our reparations. We want our restitution. That is a normal thing. People all over the world, this is a global issue. This is a global human rights issue to to demand and receive restitution reparations for the harm that has been caused and especially here in america and especially in america with 3k's inc i don't want to Mm -hmm. call it anything Mm -hmm. other than it is um but again and then you know um focusing it down into this very particular class of new african strategic release class also as political prisoners so um i want people to know that they can find this uh um the the petition and people should sign it um you can find it on facebook it's restitution now um go to to facebook and you will find it there it will also be in the new observations um uh you can go to newobservations.org there's uh, this is a um an online and print uh publication All right, I'm going to just jump in here and let you know that I don't have the publication date of the new observations publication uh, coming out where um, you will be able to read about, uh, again, the kind of the new updated version of the petition for institutional restitution. But go ahead and look for that at newobservations.org. I also want to remind you that you are listening to Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. You might be live streaming on KPOO.com. Either way, I hope you are enjoying the show. Um, I have been in conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai about institutional restitution and why it's necessary and why we should be continually exposed to what is taking place um, with our people uh, behind the walls of uh, modern-day Uh, slavery taking place within our prisons. Um, The new observations, the reason I keep bringing up the new observations uh, publication is because their uh, uh, theme this year, or their focus this year, or in this particular publication is around political prisoners. And so uh, Joka Hashima Jensai, when we come back after the musical break, uh, we'll be talking about uh, what political, who, who are political prisoners, and what is the definition of a political prisoner? All right, see you back after the break.
Shima, I wanted you to talk about um, political, being political prisoners, because not only do people think that there aren't political prisoners here in this country, despite the fact that we have some, you know, we have someone like a Mumia Abu-Jamal, you know, whose whose name and face is out there and voice is out there, um, but we still just, it's like we just don't, we just can't wrap our brains around it. But the, the fact is that you are a political prisoner and there are many there there are many political prisoners that most people don't know about um even the few that know about the ones that like i said like a mumia um can you talk about what it means to be a political prisoner even though you did explain it but i think still people don't really recognize it so uh, recognize what political prisoners are. So can you please talk about, even if you want to just talk about from your own standpoint, being a pr- political prisoner? Well, the concept of political prisoners in the United States of America is one that has been intentionally and purposely obfuscated. And it's done so to give this illusion to both the U.S. population and the, and the broader world that somehow the United States of America doesn't hold political prisoners. You know, they're, they're above that, you know, they're about freedom, justice, and equality. And nothing can be further from the truth. First of all, you have to understand as it relates to New Africa, the counterintelligence program's very existence codifies the existence of political prisoners in the United States of America. You had the entire power of the U.S. government's law enforcement apparatus bent toward disrupting or destroying Black self-empowerment and self-determination organizations throughout 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. All right. That did not, for this, this is what people need to say, it did not stop. It simply evolved. It became more complex. It became more insidious. It became digital. So, we live in an age now where you have three primary types of political prisons. You have prisoners of war, those who waged armed struggle against oppression in this country, against their communities, for political purposes. You have those that came to prison for political crimes. You had those who came to prisons for other reasons, but while in prison, became politicized and began to be active politically, socially, culturally, economically on behalf of a particular political ideology. And as a result, having suffered Abject oppression by the state. All right. I fall in the third category. Some of my brothers fall into the first and second category. We are all political prisoners. You have had some 
uh, uh, groups seek to narrow the definition of political prisons to people who got a political tag. You know, they got a got a certain uh, uh, a certain brand on, like Black Panther, or and you know, castigate everybody else. That's not true. You have political prisoners who aren't Black Panthers. You got political prisoners in this country who aren't Black Liberation Army. You got political prisoners in this country that's guerrillas. You got political prisoners in this country from other organizations and other formations. They are no less legitimate, and in some cases more so, than any other political prison that's housed in the United States of America across this country. And the reason here's why I state this. There is no class of political prison in this country that has been subjected to the degree of deadly brutal torture over the duration that political prisons in the state of California have. I can say that with absolute confidence. Mm-hmm. Nobody. When I say torture, I'm not merely speaking of the assignment to solitary confinement. I'm speaking of those dough being popped at 10, 12 at night and, and, and antagonistic prisons running on cell now trying to murder you. I'm talking about Officers that uh, uh, hold gladiator games, and when the wrong person loses, they shoot you dead. I'm talking about the type of torture, the type of attack on your nervous equipment. The vast majority of people in "quote unquote" the free world can never begin to comprehend. I'm talking about you being hesitant to eat your food because guards have tried to poison you on more than one occasion. I'm talking about mail from your family being withheld for years, and people who you love, like your mama or your brother or your sister, been long dead, and you don't find out for two, three, four years later on when one card might slip through, or the only phone call you ever received is a death call from somebody like your mother or father just passed away. That's the only time you touch a phone. I don't think people really truly grasp the nature of the torture that these brothers and sisters were subject to solely based upon their political ideas, nothing else. That's a political prison. That's a political prison by any definition. Right. Let alone the definition that's put forward by the United Nations. Y'all know United States America has long been a violation of multiple union treaties against the uh, uh, utilization of torture or the, the holding of political prison. It's long been a violation of that. Uh, uh, the contradiction arises in this nation is the U.S. has made an art of criminalizing legitimate political discourse, whether or not it's attached to armed struggle, whether or not it's attached to direct action. Uh, you recently had a TV program that you know, my brother was watching, and uh, they was talking about the uprisings that were going on in Texas. And uh, this is around that time period where you had the one ex-military brother, he took that, that protest to the level of armed struggle. And that in his, you know, they, use, they utilize a robot to uh, carry some C4 under this brother and blow him up. And in his last dying breath, he went to write, RBG on the wall, as we all know, me, red, black, and green. But he only got the R and the B out before he passed away. 
as opposed to attributing his actions to the oppression, human oppression, and extrajudicial killing of the Iraqi people in this country, they tried to attribute it to all other manner of other things, everything from mental illness to gang ties. Right. And it's this pattern of depoliticalization to criminalization that's attached to political prisons in this country, or the idea of political prisons in this country, is one of the primary contradictions, because people actually believe that tripe. Right. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a falsehood. It's intentionally manufactured to obfuscate the fact that they have political prisons in the United States of America, literally thousands of them. Do you think that this is, I know this is a somewhat rhetorical question, but do you think it's uh, the same reason why um, the uh, they, the oppressor, uh, the, the government, the educational systems, academia world, didn't want people to know um, about um, the, uh, the Haitian Revolution, um, the overthrowing yeah. of their, uh, and, and, and any of the slave revolts. Exactly. Any of the slave revolts, because they don't want us to know that we are actually not happy slaves. We are actually fighting for our freedom, and we have every right to do so. The international community says so, that this is a right that we have that is continually being violated. And I all, So that's the first question, and I, know, I hear you saying yes. But well, I also want to ask you, this idea of armed struggle, okay, I get it, but when I think about how you all have to defend yourselves against the violence and the war that's that the the um the war that's uh um being waged against you while you're inside um and you're having to defend yourself in some kind of way it sounds to me like you're in armed struggle while you're inside as well oh, oh, it might be a different time but everybody to really truly grab the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth right now. Prison is a socially hostile microcosm of its outside production. The struggle don't end at the prison gate. Right. Everything that's going on in your community right now, if you step outside, open your door, and look out what's going on. Everything you see out there, I can go out on this prison yard and see the exact same thing. I said that to say this. The struggle didn't end at that prison gate. The legitimacy of resistance to oppression and murder, racist murder, didn't ex- it didn't stop at that prison gate. Armed struggle, legitimate armed struggle, didn't stop at that prison gate. It continued every single aspect of progressive revolutionary struggle, whatever political title you want to give it, that exists out there in society, existing here, because this is an extension of your society. You must understand that. You must understand there's no verification between the concentration camp and your community. There ain't no verification. They are connected, inextricable. At some point, 90% of the people that's behind these walls come back to your community. There's your first link. 100% of the people that are currently inside of prison came from your community. That's the second link. The same state institutions run your community, they run the prisons. That's the third link. Understand something. There is no difference between armed struggle in the civilian world 
and arms struggle behind you to walk. They are both legitimate forms of unilateral political discourse. They are mechanisms of self-defense. Every human on this planet has a fundamental human right to self-defense. Absolutely. And I think that that has been so degraded that people actually now, again, and I think that then we kind of started this, you know, started this part of the conversation with this idea that we have no right to defend ourselves, that we actually do not have right to the things that we call rights that you that you so eloquently said have become uh, privileged. And I think, um, and so we just need, we so need to work on on dismantling that and changing that. And that is the work that, that we, that you all continue to do and that, we want to make sure that we uh, get access to and why we do what we do. Um, Hashima, we are yes. going to um, let's let's um, finish for today because we we will always be able to do. Uh, it's going to be a continuum of part one, part two, part three with you for sure. Um, but I really wanted to make sure that people got a, a, a chance to hear from you about the um the restitution now the institutional restitution campaign um that is ongoing is there any last um uh thing that you would like to leave with um with the listening audience before uh we come back um um at another time yes uh uh anybody listening to my voice whatever community you reside in there's there are national efforts currently occurring to restructure our communities for autonomy it's called the Autonomous Infrastructure Mission. We're seeking local coordinators. If you're serious about delinking from systems of oppression, support your local autonomous infrastructure mission. If you are serious about transforming your community, become a local coordinator. That's the last thing I'd like to leave with everybody. You are your own liberators. Beautiful. And where uh, where would they go? Um, to uh, become a part of the autonomous infrastructure. Anyone, anyone who's interested in becoming a local coordinator can contact the national coordinator for the autonomous infrastructure mission. His name is Adam Bashir at abashir276 at gmail.com. And I'm sure you, either he or another coordinator, will get back at you. Fantastic. Okay. And I, of course, you know, I'll be pushing that for sure. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, we just we so appreciate uh, you and everything that you're doing, and just for for staying strong under the worst of circumstances. Know that you are the best of the best, and all power to the people. All power to the people. Don't feel free. Peace and power. All right. Get ready for work week with Steve Seltzer. We're going to go out of here with some Stevie Wonder.
smile There are songs to make you sad But with a happy song to sing It never seems as bad To me came this melody So I've tried to put it 